0: This week, just so many situations and and conversations have happened that just kept drawing me back to Psalm 23, just the scripture passage. I was encouraging some friends, walking through different trials, different things, and just being reminded myself, walking through stuff, just being reminded of Psalm 23, those words and the power of it. And uh, like I said, growing up in, in... my parents' home, we had a picture frame with Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, on the frame. So those words were there. How many of you guys have this scripture maybe in your house or on a coffee mug or somewhere in a journal? You've got those scriptures. Maybe your grandma gave it to you. Maybe you bought it at Hobby Lobby or something. You've got this this 23rd Psalm somewhere. You know, the world, like I said, they know this song. Uh, There's even a rap song, Though I Walk Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. I don't know the rest of the lyrics, and that's probably a good thing. But there's even a movie, a war movie, where a sniper is getting ready to take out the enemy, and he starts quoting the 23rd Psalm. He's like saying the Psalm, and he's taking out the enemy. So the world knows this scripture, but the question is, do we know what it means to us personally? And this morning, I want us to go line upon line, precept upon precept, word upon word to get this Scripture memorized and meditated in our hearts. How many think it's powerful to meditate and memorize scripture? There's power when you get the word inside you and you begin to say it, meditate on it, believe it, it starts changing you, it starts driving fear out, it starts stirring up faith in you, you start finding who you are, your identity in Christ. So this morning, we're gonna do that. Let's let's jump into it. A little backstory on Psalm 23. This passage, most scholars, theologians believe this wasn't written in the early part of David's life. Even though it's at the beginning of the book of Psalms and there's 150 chapters in Psalms that this chapter was actually written in the latter part of David's life, and then when they were putting together the Bible, they placed it in the early part of Psalms. But that this chapter, most people believe, uh, that study the Bible, it was written when David was running from his son Absalom who had split the nation of Israel in rebellion against his father, King David. Uh, And and David, at this point, was now fleeing the palace. He knew something about fleeing. He had fled from his father-in-law, King Saul, who was jealous of him years before this. Now he's been the king, he had made some mistakes, and his son Absalom, through those mistakes, uh, got bitter, angry, and started a civil war. And Absalom turned the majority of the nation of Israel against their leader, King David, his father, and took his own father to war. And so David is fleeing from his palace. He's got a small army of guys, they're all running, and Absalom's men are about to chase them into the woods of Ephraim. On that journey, David pens this Psalm, Psalm 23. And so let's look at the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's say that together, the Lord is my shepherd. David was saying this, to remind himself who's with him, who's got his back, that the creator of the cosmos, the the one who created the stars, the sun and the moon and the seas and the land is not only up in heaven, but he's down on earth, he's my shepherd. He is my shepherd. David knew what a shepherd was because he was a shepherd before. David had led a flock for his father, tending his father's sheep. And so he he was reminded of what a shepherd does. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects. A shepherd watches over the sheep. A shepherd is a guide for the sheep. A shepherd is a director, a leader, an usher, helping the sheep go where they need to go. A shepherd tends and rears the sheep. Now the question is, is he your shepherd? Because some of us have placed someone else in that place of shepherd. We have found our hope, our confidence in maybe a person, maybe a job, maybe in our minds that, you know, if this person's elected as president, then I'll feel safe. Then I'll feel secure. Then I feel like we'll be headed somewhere as long as this person's in my life, as long as I got this leader. But here's the truth. Man will let you down. People will disappoint you. Politicians will rise and fall. Even pastors can't be your ultimate shepherd. The ultimate shepherd is Jesus who said in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice and they follow me and they listen to me and I care for my sheep. When we read Psalm 23, we have to read it through the lens that Jesus is my shepherd. So I'm okay. He is my shepherd. He is with me. He cares for me. He watches over me. That's powerful right there. David goes on to say this, I shall not want. Let's say that together. I shall not want. You know what David's saying here? He's saying, as long as I've got the shepherd, I am content. I am content with the good shepherd in my life. I don't have to have all the things in this world. Some of us have placed our contentment in in counterfeit things, possessions and positions. We think, if I could get there, then I won't be in lack. If I get there, and all of us have our own there. Like once I get married, once I can have kids, once I graduate college, once I have a real job, once I get that salary, that promotion, once we buy our house, once we sell our house, if once we get there, then we'll feel content. And we're constantly searching for a counterfeit contentment. That even when we get there, we'll still, there will be something else that we're lacking. You know what David says? If I'm not the king, it's okay. If Absalom takes the throne, I'm going to make it because I got the good shepherd I shall not want. My question, I think a good measure of where your contentment is at is what would you do, how would you feel if the thing you love so much, so much was taken from you? If your position was snatched overnight, if your boss called you and said, you're no longer needed at this company, if your spouse left you, If you lost your house, if you lost that car you love so much, if you lost the scholarship, if you lost your parents, if you had to bury your children, could you still make it? Or would you be in lack? Is there something in you that's attached to something that's going to let you down? Because here's the truth. If your contentment is in anything but Christ, you are headed towards a destructive end. It's only when we put our hope in something that cannot be shaken. An unshakable foundation is Christ alone. My hope, my identity, my contentment is in the good shepherd. He is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to make it. If I got Jesus, I'm going to make it. If you got Jesus, you're going to make it. And that's good. My hope is not in the government of this nation. I'm praying for all the things to happen that I want to happen, but even if it doesn't happen, I'm okay because I got the good shepherd watching over me. I shall not want. Paul said it like this in Philippians 4 verse 11. He said, not that I'm in need. I know how to be content. Verse 12, whether I'm abounding or abased, I know everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Have you learned the secret to contentment? Have you you learned, like, can you live without the riches? Can you live without the opportunities? Can you live without that title? Paul said, I'm okay, throw me in jail. Paul was unstoppable because his contentment was in Christ. He was literally untouchable. They're like, we're gonna throw you in jail. Okay, I'll I'll lead all the jailers to the Lord. (laughs) We're gonna persecute you, okay. I take glory in the persecutions of the Lord that I may suffer what Jesus suffered for his glory. We're going we're gonna to cause you to be shipwrecked. Okay, that's fine. We're going to kill you. Well, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He was untouchable. Why? Because Paul's contentment was not in this world. If your contentment is in this world, you are headed towards disaster. His contentment and David's contentment was in the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what David's saying is we're the sheep. Like, what, a, what an awesome animal to be, the most nonviolent, non-ferocious, non-cool animal in the world. Why couldn't we have been lions or something, or wolves? I don't know. <laughs> but he says, you're the sheep. He wants us to be at peace with him. When I look at this past week, I was looking at pictures of sheep, and I came across some sheep, and I imagine this is what David looked like, just really, just really happy, just like, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want... He was at peace. That one, some of you guys look like that right now. If you could only see your faces. (laughs) God wants us to be in this place of contentment. God wants us to be in this place of security. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's got me. He's carrying me. When I can't carry myself, next David says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. You can either lie down in green pastures or you can be made to lie down in green pastures, right? Don't sugarcoat God. If you don't bow, he'll make you bow. Every knee shall bow and tongue confess, right? And sometimes God is asking us to rest. Sometimes God, green pastures is a picture of rest. It's It's a pause. It's a Sabbath. I can only imagine David just getting so caught up in all of the things he had to do and decisions he had to make and the stuff he had to stress about. And David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. I'll never forget the story one of my favorite preachers, Matthew Barnett, shared here one day. He said, I was getting so caught up trying to take care of the Los Angeles Dream Center. He's a pastor of Angeles Temple, Los Angeles Dream Center. Just an incredible ministry, helping a lot of people. He said, I was working 24-7, just giving it all I had. I was spinning the wheels. My wife was telling me, take a break. Other people, my own co-workers were saying, Pastor Matthew, please take a break. You're always traveling. He said, if I'm not here, this won't last. It's gonna collapse. I have to be here making the decisions. I gotta go out and raise the money. So Matthew was constantly traveling, trying to raise the money. He said, I'm the chief fundraiser here. I'm the one that's gotta keep this thing afloat. If I'm not out there working, this thing's gonna fold. And he said, I developed an illness in my relentlessness to rest And he said, I had to check myself into the hospital. In his 30s, I checked myself in the hospital. And he said, for three months, I was bedridden because I had pushed myself so hard. For three months, the doctor wouldn't let me out of the hospital, he said, if you get out of here and you keep going, you're gonna kill yourself. You need to take a rest. He said, during that bedridden time, I was, I was so worried about the LA Dream Center. How are we gonna get through it? How are we gonna make it? If I'm not out there raising money, if I'm not out there calling the shots, deciding what's gonna happen, I've gotta be in there. And he was so worried. And he said, guess what God did during that quarter? He said the LA Dream Center, the Angeles Temple Church, he said it skyrocketed in finances. God blessed it over and above. It prospered even more than any other quarter that Matthew was out on the the field working. And then he started thinking, maybe they don't even need me. (laughs) But here's what he learned, that when we go to rest, God goes to work. When you allow God to lay you down in green pastures, some of us, we've, we've placed ourselves as like The savior of the world. You are not the savior of your company. You are not the savior of your family. Jesus is. And unless God builds the house, he that labors, labors in vain. Unless God's building your life, you are headed towards disaster and you will wake up at the bottom of the pit one day going, Why didn't I listen to my pastor? Man, if he's not the pilot and you're flying the plane, it's not good. You've got to get out of that seat and go, God, you're the shepherd. You're the head of the church. Matthew said in that story, in that situation, he said, I realize Christ is the head of the church. And that's good news, guys, because that means he's got the whole world in his hands. So it puts us in a place of trust. He makes me to lie down and and, and understand that a shepherd, a good shepherd, will bring his sheep back where they need to be. So if a sheep wanders off, and I remember going to Israel a few years ago and watching these shepherds, these nomads who lived in the fields of Israel, and they would go through these valleys and up these mountaintops, and the sheep were going up these steep areas, and the shepherd would get them back in in the flock, in the place they needed to be. If a sheep wandered off in a dangerous place where there could be wolves, the shepherd would warn the sheep, pull them back, prod them back with the rod, the staff. Then the sheep might go again. The third time the good shepherd does this true story breaks the legs of the sheep, puts him on his shoulders, there's a picture of Jesus carrying some sheep, puts him on his shoulders and carries him back to the flock. When we see this picture, we think, oh, that's so sweet. It's a picture of him breaking the legs of the lamb to get him back to where he needs to go. I'm not saying God's going to break your legs, okay? But what I'm saying is don't resist the correction of God. The New Testament talks about, Hebrews chapter 12, that the Lord corrects those whom he loves. I'm not saying God's gonna do something bad against you, but what I'm saying is he uses his word not just to comfort us, but to correct us and say, lay down in my word. Surrender. Quit quit wrestling with this, Jacob. Embrace what I've done for you. Take the word of God and let it change you. Quit trying to lead your life on your own. Follow the good shepherd. I, I got your best interest at heart. He makes me lie down in green pastures. By the way, Proverbs 12.1 says, the one who refuses correction is stupid. <laughs> and then Proverbs 3.12 says, the Lord reproves him whom he loves. And Proverbs one twenty three says, the one who embraces the correction of God will have an outpouring of the spirit of God on their life. So I want to embrace what God's doing in me. Then David says, he leads me beside the still waters. Now this is is a picture of peace. The still waters. Notice David's not saying these are rushing waters. Noisy waters are shallow waters. Because there's rapids and there's rocks and the water's not that deep. But the motionless still water, that's the deep water. Deep cries out to deep. God's saying, come. And find peace now David wasn't talking about an actual physical place of still waters David was running from his son Absalom who's trying to kill him wants to murder him David's not talking about a place of still waters David's talking about an internal place of peace remember Jesus slept on a pillow in a boat while it was going through the worst storm on the Sea of Galilee you can find peace even in the middle of chaos Peace is not the absence of a storm. Peace is being able to rest in the middle of a storm. It's finding the hiding place, the shelter of the Most High God. I will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. David was saying, listen, he's he's leading me to places of peace. There was a teacher who asked her students to draw their best picture, paint their best picture of what peace looked like. So students submitted their paintings. One person drew this one picture that was very interesting. It ended up winning. It was a picture of a storm, lightning and, and waves crashing into these uh, cliffs, water pouring over. But if you zoom in on that right side of the picture, you can see there is a bird that's hidden in the cleft of the cliff, holding her little chicklets inside that little shelter. She's in the middle of a storm, but she's found peace for her family. Now, some of us in this room, we're convinced we can't have peace unless the storm is over. But what God's trying to say is, there's a hiding place in the middle of the storm. There is a shelter. It's the presence of God. And it's not out there. You can't find it in a drug. You can't find it in a bottle. You can't find it in an affair. You can only find it in the presence of the almighty God who says, come away with me and find rest for your weary, exhausted soul. God's not just the God of the sunshine. He's the God in the middle of the storm. And I've seen it. When our family was going through one of the worst storms, I used to come in this worship center and sit at that piano and just weep and find the most amazing peace, not from a conversation with a counselor, not from a psychiatrist, not from anything else, but just in his presence, there's peace. He leads me beside still waters. It's in the stillness of God that He speaks to us. We hear His voice, not in the noisy, clanging world. Some of us need to turn the music off, turn the Netflix off, and just go into our closet and be still and know that He is God. David says, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. and. David needed restoration, right? I mean, if he's writing this at the point of history that most people believe, that he's walked through adultery. He had cheated on his wife, and then he had uh, slept with another man's wife. Then he had her husband murdered. Then... The, the the baby that he, he got, he impregnated Bathsheba and then he loses the baby. It's a stillborn and he's weeping and he's broken and he's ragged and he's just exhausted and he feels so ashamed and regretful as a dad, as a husband, as a king, as a man of God. He needs restoration. Nathan, the prophet, the pastor, comes to David and says, you've sinned. And David said, you're right. Against God and God alone have I sinned. He comes in repentance and David goes on to say in Psalm 23, He restores my soul. Restoration means I can live with myself again, even after the stuff that I've done that I regret, even after the stuff that's been done to me. I can keep living and not living as a prisoner, not surviving, but literally thriving. Even when I'm running from my palace, I can remember that God has restored my soul. Some of us need restoration in our soul because of stuff we've done or stuff that's been done to us. Restoration is to receive the forgiveness and the mercy of God and then to administer it to others. Maybe someone's hurt you and your soul is perplexed. You are in a prison, a toxic place in your soul and you are tempted in every way to go do things with that toxicity. The only freedom we have to be restored in our soul is to come to the good shepherd. He is the healer. He is the ultimate healer. And He can mend you, and he can put you back together again, even after the pain of what's happened to you. David said, he restores my soul. It's entrusting your soul to God. Then David says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. I love that. That's good paths. That's the right paths. God's gonna direct me to the right paths. He might have to close some doors that I wish wouldn't close. Some of us are still angry about closed doors when we should be thanking God that he closed those doors god's saying listen i know you wanted to go that way but on the other side of that door there's a trap so i'm not going to give you that person you wanted to marry i'm going to shut that relationship off i'm not going to give you that job you wanted to have i know you wanted to move to that state but i need you here in tulsa oklahoma i'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness it may not seem glorious at the moment But you'll see soon enough, it is for my name's sake, God says. It's for the glory of God. I'm gonna close some doors, and you better thank me because those doors, if you would have walked through them, would have been a disaster for your life. And even though you thought you missed it and you've been on this detour, I created an on-ramp. God blessed the broken road that led me back to you. God's saying, I'm bringing you back to the path you need to be on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. The paths of righteousness come from trusting in him that God knows best. My shepherd knows exactly where I need to be. And then he goes on to say this for his name's sake. God's for his glory. And that's good news that he's not just for you. He's really not for your glory. He's for you because he's for his glory. The world does not revolve around me and you. And when we think it does, we, we get insecure. We get exhausted. We're in bondage to ourselves. When our marriages are about us, we're constantly demanding our rights. When our jobs are about us, they didn't treat me right. Why didn't I get the promotion? you never do this for me. When it's all about me, I'm constantly angry. My soul is constantly at war and I'm perplexed and I'm exhausted, but when I get set free from me, that's good news because I realize my marriage is not for my glory. My marriage is for His glory. My job's not for my glory. My job's for His glory. My life is not for my glory. It's for His glory. So when I'm mistreated and I'm not given the the entitlement rights that I deserve, it's okay because the world doesn't revolve around me it's for his glory that's good news church some of us have made our lives about us and we are so frustrated and God's saying hey hey it's not about you it's for my name's sake God's glorified in our humility just as much as he is in our success remember that so when you're walking through some humiliating circumstances and you're going I don't deserve this I put money at this company. I've given so much to, I don't deserve this. God's saying, can I be glorified in your humiliation and not just your success? Can I be glorified even when you're walking with that cross and you feel like you're being crucified? God wants to be glorified through you, through your humility and your success. Here's the amazing thing about your success. When you're successful, don't touch it. Don't touch the success. Remember who the glory goes to. If you touch it, you'll lose it. But if you'll give it to God, the only reason this church has lasted 35 years is for his name's sake. He's been faithful. He's been gracious when we least deserved it. He's shown us mercy. And the reason why our best days are in front of us is not because I'm here. It's not because you're here. It's because of his glory. The good shepherd holds this church together. He's at the helm. No matter who's on the stage, God's taken us forward for his name's sake. The Lord is my shepherd. It's for His glory. One of my friends recently got elevated and promoted, and and, and God's using him in incredible ways. Brian Nera. He's on NBC The Voice. You know, the thing I love about Brian, he knows who it's for. It's not for Brian, it's not about the Nera family. Although God's shining favor on the Nera family and on Brian, ultimately, Brian knows. This is for the glory of God. And when you can live with that kind of surrender, God will take you places you never dreamed of. For his name's sake. David understood it. David goes, I I didn't get myself into the throne. God did it. I didn't anoint myself to be the king. God did it through Samuel. The future generations of this kingdom, it's not because of my merit. It's because of God's goodness that he's gonna use Solomon then down the road, Jesus is going to come through the lineage of David. It's all for his name's sake. Then David says this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice he says the shadow of death. The shadow can't hurt you. The shadow of a sword can't cut you. The shadow of a gun can't shoot you. It's just a shadow. Some of us are so afraid of the shadow, we're making a bigger deal about something that really can't hurt us. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the one who can take your body, but rather fear God who owns your soul when you surrender to him. Ultimately, I don't have to be afraid no matter what happens. I win because Christ lives in me. David was saying, I I might be walking through the shadow of death. And I love how he says, through. Everybody say, through. David didn't say, though I end up in the valley of the shadow of death. This ain't your final scene. Someone who's walking through the valley, you're going to get through it. Dark times don't last forever. I promise you they don't. I know you're saying, well, you're too young to really say that. I've been through a lot in the last few years. I know this, man, God carries us through the valleys. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Everybody say, I'm coming out of it. No matter what you go through, you can get through it because the good shepherd lives in you. Isn't it amazing that just a few lines before this, we're talking about green pastures and still waters, and all of a sudden we're talking about the valley of the shadow of death, but that's life, right? We go through a series and one phone call can take us from the green pastures into the valley. One conversation with our boss can take us from still waters to the shadow of death. One word from a doctor can take us from that sense of serenity to that sense of fear about the future. But you know what David says? Though I walk through these really un Un- unknown times that are coming in front of me, though I'm walking through a valley that I don't know what's on the other side of this. Remember, David's writing this before he's, he's found out what the outcome of this war with his son Absalom is gonna be. And Absalom ends up losing in that battle. David's saying, even though I'm walking through something that I don't know what's on the other side, he says, I will fear no evil. Let's say that together. I will fear no evil. Church, we don't have to fear any evil. You don't have to be afraid of terrorism. You don't have to be afraid of terrorism. You don't have to be afraid of terrorism. You don't have to be afraid of sickness. You don't have to be afraid of of financial uh, uh, uncertainty. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because the good shepherd is with you. David says, I will not fear. I refuse to be afraid. Now, it's one thing to be aware of terrorism. It's one thing to be aware. I'm not saying don't be aware. Yeah, get your heads out of the sand, but don't you dare succumb to the spirit of fear. That is a lie from the devil who wants to keep you in bondage. It is not God's will for the church to be living in fear. I will fear no evil. Man, I got, I'm preaching to me because fear comes at me on a daily, regular basis. Fear knocks at the door. One of my prayers of this sermon is that we will leave with more faith and less fear. More faith in the good shepherd and less fear about what's happening around us. When I come into church on Sunday mornings, you wouldn't believe the thoughts of fear that try to attack me. But you know what I I do? I walk through these halls and I go, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. He charges his angels around 7700 South Lewis and in the hallways and in our house and in the members' houses and in their apartment complexes and on ORU's campus. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. He will deliver me from the hand of the fowler. He will deliver me from the snares set by the enemy. In Jesus' name, he surrounds me with angelic protection. He surrounds me with the shield of favor. Every time I get on the stage, I gotta pray that because the devil comes at me with fear, to be afraid. But I declare it over this place. You don't have to be afraid about what's gonna happen to your children when they go to school. You don't have to be afraid about coming into a big building here at Victory. You don't have to be afraid about going into the mall. You don't have to be afraid. See, the news wants to get us all caught up in this fear. Right, They're, they're just pumping us with this terrorism, 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 terrorism. It's getting closer, it's getting closer, it's getting closer. And some of us think we're supposed to buy into the fear. I'm not saying don't be aware, but don't you dare buy into the fear. The early church didn't do it, and we shouldn't do it either. They accepted our lives might be taken for believing in Jesus. Like, we might be persecuted. We probably will. And you know what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. And I'm not afraid because of me. I'm not afraid because the good shepherd is with me. He's in me. So then David goes on to say this. I got to hurry up. God says, here's why I'm not afraid. David says, here's why I'm not afraid. For you are with me. The omnipotent, omnipresent God is always with us. Get this scripture inside you. Memorize it. Say it over your family. Say it this week. Just say it out. I will not fear for you are with me. Just say it. I will not fear for you are with me. Those four words, you are with me. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with me. I love this passage, Psalm 139. David talks about how much God is with us. He says, where can I go? Right? I, I'm going to read it from my, my Bible here. He says this um, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence if I into heaven you are there if I make my bed in hell behold you are there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea even there your hand will lead me your right hand will hold me if I say surely the darkness will fall on me even in the night will be light about me indeed the darkness cannot hide from you the night shines as the day the darkness and the light they're both alike to you David was saying I can't get away from you you're always with me David goes on to say you know all the days of my life you've numbered them you've prepared the days for me God's got you he's got the whole world in his hands he's got your future I remember in April when I was graduating high school and graduating college it happened twice in 2004 when I was graduating high school I was so scared about the future I was thinking, God, I I don't know what's going to happen. I don't don't know where I'm going to go to college. I don't have anything lined up. I, I haven't heard of any scholarships yet for me. And I remember finding a place of surrender. I went into my bedroom, went into the closet, and just prayed. I said, God, I trust in you. I commit my ways to you. I just felt at peace. I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I just knew God's gonna take care of it. Then in college, I was graduating, 2008. April comes around, it's graduation time. It's three weeks away from graduation. I got no jobs lined up. I was playing in a band. We had a few gigs in front of us where we were gonna play for like 10 people. And I was like, there's, there's really no career here. <laughs> and uh, God was blessing us. You know, we, we, we ended up getting to play in some other bigger venues But still, the uncertainty of the future was scaring me, and again, I had to come to that place saying, God, I trust you. Even when the doors get closed, I trust you. Even when I don't see open doors in front of me, I trust you. I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff are not just for comforting, but also for correction, and they are both good for us as believers. We need both the comfort of the rod and the staff and the correction of the rod and the staff. Don't resist it. God's, what God is doing in you is more important than what's happening around you. What God is, is calling you to become is more important than maybe the job you're working in. Maybe you feel frustrated in this job, but God's saying, I'm doing something in you. My rod and my staff are comforting, correcting, prodding, making you into the woman, into the man that I've called you to be. Then David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever found yourself in places of favor that you just didn't deserve and you were going I I don't know how I got here. (laughs) I don't know how this happened. And and, and God shines his favor on you in front of people who said that that, that you would never amount to anything and God's like I'll show you. I'll take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. (laughs) Right here, I'm a foolish thing, and God uses foolish things. It's a good thing to be unqualified. God takes the unqualified, and he qualifies them for what he's called them to do. God's looking for some people in the world that say, I may not have the greatest resume, but God, send me. Here I am. I surrender. And then he prepares this table before you. He shines his favor upon you. I remember uh, one time there was this person who just didn't like me. I was was, was a teenager, and he came up to me and said, I don't like you. I was like, what did I do to you? He said, nothing, I just don't like you. He's like, I don't like you. I don't like your family. I don't like this school, this church. He was being forced to go to our school. His parents had put him in there and he didn't wanna be there. He wanted to go somewhere else. And he was so mad at me and I, had not, I hadn't done anything to him. But you know what God did crazy? God started shining favor on me in front of him and it made him even more mad. He was like, why do you get all these opportunities? I was like, I don't know. I don't deserve them. I didn't, I didn't ask for them. And there was a part of me that was like, this is awesome. (laughs) But God started working in his heart, and this is what God does. He turned that enemy into a friend. I don't have any enemies except for the devil. But when there's, when there's a spirit, that's see, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. You need to remember, your enemies are not people. There's just a spirit that's trying to, it's against spirits, principalities, and powers of this dark world operating through people. And God broke that spirit off that person, and he said, man, I apologize for my hatred towards you and your family. God's changed my heart. I want to be your friend. God will turn your enemies into friends. He'll shine favor upon you because he's that good, not because you merited it, but because Because he's just awesome like that. We serve an awesome God. He says, you anoint my head with oil. That word oil is is about gladness. You anoint me with gladness. The message version says, you lift my drooping head. You lift me up. You pull me out of the pit of despair. You lift me out of the spirit of discouragement. He's going to anoint you this morning with gladness. And gladness and joy is so much better than happiness. Happiness can be taken from you in a second. But joy and gladness stays with you through the storm. It's that place of just God's with. It's that sheep. Can we throw that picture of that sheep again? Just happy in the shepherd's care. I don't know where that sheep is. There he is right there. He's going to anoint you with the oil of gladness. He's going to get you joyful again. Not because everything's going your way. But because you're in his presence. There's fullness of. Of joy. Then David says, My cup runs over. That's a picture of more than enough. That's that's a boatload of fish that we don't have room enough to contain. When Jesus blessed the, the manna, the fish and the loaves, how much leftovers were there? Twelve baskets. That's not just a little bit of leftovers, that's a lot. Some of us financially are, are uncertain. We're, we're insecure about what the future holds. We're afraid. We're watching, we're watching what's happening on the stock market. We're watching what's happening in the world and we're afraid. But we serve a God who doesn't just pour enough in the cup. He runs it over. The economy of heaven is not bankrupt. He's not run out of money. He's able to take care of your needs and he doesn't just take care of You see, we think in material wise. He's talking about way deeper than that. Materials can be destroyed by the moth and the rust, and they end up in garage sales. And that cell phone you love so much, it's like it's—it's going to be obsolete by the time you walk out. You're going to need an upgrade like today. <laughs> Materials are counterfeits. What he's talking about is spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1, 3, you've blessed me with every spiritual blessing there is over and above. You've poured it over my cup. So much grace, I can't handle it. So much righteousness, I can't handle it. So much joy, I can't handle it. So much love, so much peace, so much kindness, so much gentleness and faith. He's got you, church. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Lately, my son Liam has been chasing me around the house, and he just always wants me to hold him. He says, Daddy, hold you, hold you, which means hold him. And and if I was to put Velcro on my body, he would literally want to be attached to me, Velcroing himself to me everywhere we go. (laughs) I heard someone else say that, and I was like, that's totally my son right now. Liam, he is so at this stage where he's just chasing me. I should call him goodness and mercy because he follows me all the days of my life. And I love it. You know what, God? He wants to chase you down with favor. He wants to chase you down with mercy, with his goodness. You say, well, but Paul, I haven't done anything to deserve it. Exactly. That's the grace and the character of God. David believed it. The question is, do you believe it? Will you personalize the scripture and say, surely his goodness and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And now let me end on this line right here. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's just something about home. I remember leaving Tulsa and living in Maryland for a few months. And when I got close to coming back home, I started counting down the days, the hours, the minutes. I couldn't wait to get back to mom and dad's house, to sleep in my own bed with clean sheets, and to have someone help me with my dirty laundry, and to eat in my kitchen at that table, and to be with my family. There was just a security and a safety about home. Now, having my own home with my wife and kids, when I go on mission trips, I love serving God overseas. But there's something about coming back home. There have been times where I've been overseas and almost lost my life like because crazy situations had happened. When I got back here, I just kissed the ground and said, thank you, Jesus, I'm back home. And I come home and I kiss my wife. There's safety. You know what David was saying? He said, I love the house of the Lord. There's something about the security and the safety of God's house now back then there was no temple built there was no house there was no physical structure what was David talking about he was talking about the presence of God The presence of God is not confined to 7700 South Lewis. The presence of God is available and accessible everywhere you go. David was saying, everywhere I go, every day of my life, I'm gonna stay at home in his presence. I'm gonna stay at peace in his presence. It's the presence of God that produces the power in me. It's the presence of God that produces the peace that I need. It's the presence of God that gives me the joy that I need. I want us to stand to our feet all over this place God's presence is here he wants you to take it home with you in your car in your business at your apartment in your house in your bedroom in your shower his presence in his presence there is peace Lord I thank you right now this morning God that you're reminding us just this passage no matter what we're walking through, God, that you're with us. You're leading us through the valley to the pastures beside still waters. We don't have to be afraid of what's happening around us. We can be at peace inside our spirit. Lord, that you're going to bless us with favor because you are so good. And God, it's to bring you glory. Lord, your goodness and your mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Somebody take hold of that this morning. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here right now, you need that mercy. You need restoration in your soul. You need freedom from fear and stress about what the next season holds. I've realized this. I don't have to know what the future holds when I know who holds my future. You don't have to know what's gonna happen next when you know who holds your future. Right now, if you need just freedom from worry, anxiety, stress, would you just lift your hand? God wants to lift that burden, that care off you right now. Single, married, young, old, yeah, hands going up from the front to the back. You're saying, I need to release some burdens and worries about the future and the present, financial insecurities, uncertainty about job and uncertainty. There's doors that haven't opened yet, doors that I thought were going to open that God closed, and I just don't know. God's saying, I'm going to lead you down paths of righteousness. Maybe you're here today and you need the forgiveness of God. You need restoration in your spirit. Maybe things aren't right between you and God and today you want to surrender to that good shepherd, Jesus. He loves you. If that's you, make that decision today. Just slip your hand up in the air saying, yeah, I need that forgiveness, that restoration. I need that, yeah, hands going up across this room. You're saying today I surrender to Jesus. I'm getting things right between me and God. I need to forgive some people and I need to receive the forgiveness of God. If you lifted your hand or you just need to come to this altar, would you step out from your seat? Come and meet me right now down at the You're just saying, I want that fear lifted off of me. I want that worry, that stress broken off of me. God, I, I need that mercy, that favor. I need to start speaking that scripture over my life. Just step out from your seat. Today is your day to find grace, to find restoration, to find peace, to find mercy. Keep coming. There's room at this altar. There's room at this altar. College students, parents, singles, married, divorced. You don't know what's next. You don't know how you're going to get through this valley of the shadow of death. But God's saying, I'm going to bring you through it. I'm going to bring you through it. I am the good shepherd. Trust me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe you've lost your joy. You need that fresh oil of gladness. Come on down. I promise I'll dismiss you all in just a few minutes, but I'm going to ask you to just respect what God's doing right now in these moments. God's working in people's lives right here and all across this room. He's reminding you. He's your shepherd. He's your shepherd. He's in the light of his glory. Some of us are always on go. We can't turn off that constant voice saying, You better work, you better work, you better work, 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 work. You gotta go do, 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 do. And we've replaced intimacy with activity. We have replaced identity with activity. We think the more I do, the more qualified I'll be. And God's saying, Intimacy produces identity. And identity allows you to do the activity that I've called you to do. We've got to get the priorities right. We've got to pause and let him, we can either lay down in green pastures or be made to lie down in green pastures. Let God bring you to a place where he says, trust me, rest. I've got it all taken care of. I'm going to work everything together for good. I'm going to turn everything around for good. That legal battle that you're so worried about, don't worry about it. I'm doing a work inside you. I'm going to carry you through it. I'm going to turn that situation around. That child that you're wishing would be back in church, that you wish there was reconciliation with, right now, don't worry about it. I'm going to work everything together for good. I got you, God says. I'm the good shepherd. You pray, but you release the worry to me cast your cares upon the Lord. The finances wondering how it's all going to come together. How are we going to pay the bills? God's saying, let me be the shepherd. You don't be the pilot. Let me be the pilot. Let me take over here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to lead you to still waters. I'm going to lead you down paths of righteousness. Maybe someone in this room has been hurt by people around you. God's not only going to heal you, he's going to shine his favor upon you in the middle of the naysayers, in the middle of of those who've been negative towards you, and God's going to turn enemies into friends for you. He's saying, but I'm looking at the test of your heart. Will you choose to forgive or will you get bitter? Will you get better or bitter? Will you forgive those who've hurt you? God shined favor on Joseph even when his brothers betrayed him because Joseph kept his heart pure. God shined favor on David even when his father-in-law Saul chased him with spears. God gave him a friend named Jonathan through Saul's family. God continued to bless David because David trusted God's providence and God's sovereignty. And he forgave those who hurt him. Right now, God's saying, let me restore your soul. Let me release the toxicity of whatever you've been carrying. In Jesus' name, fear is broken. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Stress and worry about the future is broken. He's got your family. He's got your marriage, your future marriage. He's got your next job lined up. He's going to take care of you. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's El Shaddai, my protector. He watches over us. I feel to say this right now. I know people got to go, but let me say this. I had this picture that there are angels coming around you, behind you, and preparing you for the next season that God's walking you through. I told our staff this last week, I had this picture. I remembered the old 90s movie, Angels in the Outfield. And there's this moment in the movie where this little boy sees angels helping the Los Angeles Angels baseball team to win the World Series. But there's this pitcher who's exhausted. He's thrown his arm out. He's got nothing left. He tells his coach, I got nothing left. The coach looks at the little boy to see if the little boy sees an angel. He says, I know you say you got nothing left, but you got an angel with you right now. And all of a sudden that angel is massaging his arm and he goes out and he's able to finish the game. And when I thought about that this past week, I was thinking so many people are at a point where they feel like I got nothing left. And God's saying, you got an angel with you right now. That's biblical. He charges his angels to come and help you and refresh you and revive your drooping head. He's gonna help you finish this season strong and go into the next season. Though young men may stumble and fall, that those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Lord, let's pray right now. Say, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you. Thank you for giving me strength. Thank you for giving me rest. I repent of doing things my way. I receive your forgiveness. Be my Lord and Savior. You are my shepherd and I shall not want. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. All the days of my life. And I will dwell in your presence. Forever. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. Give God praise this morning.